All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington. Uh, I am your host, Brad Clear, coming at you as usual Thursday night, 6 p.m., or if you're listening afterwards on podcast.com. Um, first off, again, it's a beautiful day here at Elon, uh, pushing at the 76-degree mark, nice and sunny. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. So uh, shout out to the spring weather at Elon. It's that one time of year where there's sort of that notable difference between the weather in, you know, the Northeast and or wherever and Elon. That's that springtime is when you see the greatest difference. Um, And again, it's just a great, great day, especially when it's nice and warm out and when it's a Thursday and it's 6 p.m. because, you know, after the final whistle is coming at you. So, um Big weekend coming up in sports. We had the NHL playoffs start yesterday and today or Saturday we have the uh, first day of the NBA playoffs. So this episode is going to be strictly devoted to that. We'll go matchup by matchup, um, look at the matchups, you know, give predictions, players to watch, etc. Um, so yeah, let's just get right into it. So, start off with the Eastern Conference first. Um, first matchup, we got the one-seed Toronto Raptors and the eight-seed Washington Wizards. So, the first thing that pops to mind when looking at this series is you look at the eight-seed Washington Wizards, and uh, this team is kind of in turmoil, kind of an absolute mess right now. Losing last night in their last game of the year where you really want to gain that momentum going into the playoffs to the uh, fifth-worst team in the NBA, Orlando Magic, by almost double digits. They lost to the Hawks two games ago. Um, you know they lost to the Bulls two games before that. They lost to the Pistons a few games before that. They lost to the Knicks. They've lost a lot. Let's look at this right here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Whoa, geez, this is bad. Seven of their last thirteen games going into the playoffs, they lost. Um, they really had a firm hold in the sixth seed for a while, and really their really bad string at the end of the season. Caused them to fall to eight. They fell behind Milwaukee. Miami passed them and is at six. The John Wall came back, and we've had the typical Wizards. We don't know, you know, what this team really is. They're very inconsistent, and that that's really what we've seen at the end of the year um, in these last thirteen games. And they have to go up against the fifty-nine win Toronto Raptors, a team who throughout this entire season I have been super impressed with, super high on. You have MVP caliber or MVP caliber. DeMar DeRozan, you have Kyle Lowry, you have that incredible bench, you have um, a perimeter stopper, and OG and Yunobi who you can put on Bradley Beal. I look at, there, there's very few series uh, in this playoff first round that I look at and I immediately think that this is going to be an absolute destruction, an absolute complete sweep. And I look at this matchup between Toronto and Washington, that's exactly what I see. I see a sweep. I know that Toronto's end of the season was not um, as great um, as their rest of the season run was. You know, they lost the game to the Celtics, they lost to the Cavs, they lost to the Clippers at one point, but the Toronto, and they lost to OKC at one point in a really, really good game. But this Toronto Raptors team is not the Toronto Raptors team that just cannot get it done in the playoffs. Again, I can say that now, but we have to see Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, two guys who have really not produced at the level that they do in the regular season years past. 
they have not produced in the playoffs at the level that they, they produced in the regular season. Obviously, a completely different team, completely different style of play, so maybe that'll change. But I look at this, Toronto's got to get that game one win. With all of the talk about how they can't hack it in the playoffs, how they always choke and whatnot, game one, getting that first win at home is going to be crucial. If they lose game one at home, which I don't think will happen, but in the event that they did to a team like Washington who has zero momentum right now and is really in a free fall, that is a horrible, horrible start. And it may really conjure up even more of those, um, you know, Toronto can't get done the playoffs. Um, they changed all their style, their style of play, but this is still happening. So they got to get that game one win. I think they will. And if they get that game one win, it'll be smooth sailing for them in this series. I really, I look at Washington. It's, it's just weird to me that how this team is just so inconsistent and so back and forth. Um, they had that one stretch where they were really, really, really good um, without Bradley Beal in the lineup. And he's come back, and it really hasn't helped them at all. You know, Bradley Beal, absolute monster. They're going to rely very, very hard on Bradley Beal and John Wall to get them through this playoff series or to try to get them at least a win or a two um, in this round. I just can't see it happening. So it's kind of the story of the Washington Wizards' whole season and the recent existence is they just, you know, this team is so all over the place, so inconsistent. Can't get the job done. That's not going to change here. Toronto will change their playoff fate. I think they sweep Washington here in the first round. Um, X factors to watch out for. Um, I look at Washington. Um, I really don't think that there's anyone that is an X factor per se on that squad. Um, I look at Toronto, and this really applies to the whole playoffs. Um, I look at Pascal Siakam and as really and Serge Ibaka too as the players to watch, or I guess X factors if you will, because. As these playoffs go on, you know, if Toronto gets to the conference finals, or actually, no, it won't even be the conference finals. If Boston wins their playoff series, which we get into next, and they have to play Cleveland in the second round, you know, this top notch um, Toronto team, they are going to need Pascal Siakam to be out there to guard LeBron. And in doing so, he's going to need to make shots. Serge Ibaka is going to need to make shots. These defensive guys. You can't have guys on the floor who are solely defensive guys. OG and Unobi, same thing. They have to make shots. So, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, OG and Unobi, three guys that, those are your go-to defensive guys. Those are the guys who you're going to be guarding top-notch players with. You know, your perimeter guy is going to be Anunobi. Guarding LeBron, Siakam's going to do that also. These guys, especially Siakam and Anunobi, a little inconsistent or shaky when shooting the ball from the outside. They're really going to have to step up in that category or defenses are going to exploit them like crazy um, in the potential or likely occurrence that they play Cleveland in the second round. All right, so speaking of that, we'll go to the um, second matchup here in the Eastern Conference, the two-seeded Boston Celtics and the seven-seed Milwaukee Bucks. Um, This series is definitely going, I think, to seven games. You look at Boston, this team, they have been torn to shreds without Kyrie for the whole playoffs, without Gordon Hayward all year, you know, Al Horford, they're going to have to ride Al Horford. They're going to have to have Jason Tatum to keep producing at a top-notch level. Terry Rozier is going to have to keep producing at a top-notch level. Um, Jalen Brown is going to have to do so as well. There's a heavy, heavy reliance that the Celtics are going to have to put out on their young guys for the playoffs as a whole, and especially this first round. Um, You know, Marcus Smart also, he's not going to be there, but potentially be there for a Game 7. You know, Marcus Morris is going to be incredibly pivotal, or pivotal, and Aaron Baines, too, is someone that I look at as 
you know, potentially more so in in a potential second round against the Sixers playing Joel Embiid, but to have that defensive center to really be able to combat another top-notch big man, he's going to be pivotal. But looking at this series um, straight up against Milwaukee, you look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee's got Giannis. They've got Eric Bledsoe. They've got Chris Middleton. They've got Jabari Parker. They've got role players who are solid like John Henson and Matthew Dellavedova. Malcolm Brogdon is hurt. They have Tony Snell when they actually have the confidence to play him. Um, Thon Maker can kind of get some run here and there. So the Bucks have a lot of pieces, a lot of guys who are seemingly guys who can get minutes and be really quality depth players or be top-notch starters. But there's just something about them this year. They just never seemed to be healthy enough at the right time or all at once, or they just never seemed to really put together and reach their fullest potential or capability. You know, they only won 44 games this year. When we look at the Sixers, the Sixers won 52 games. On paper, you look at Milwaukee and you look at the Sixers, you know, why is Milwaukee not winning closer to 50 games? Why is Milwaukee only a 7 seed? This team could easily be a 6, a 5, a 4 seed uh, caliber team. So I look at them, and the key for them in this series is obviously Giannis. If Giannis plays at his dominant MVP caliber level, which he has done for the majority of the season, with Boston's lack of, I guess, a go-to scoring option outside of, well, they have Horford and Tatum, but you know, without Kyrie Irving as this just elite go-to scoring option or playmaker, they're going to have to play incredible defense to stop Giannis, to stop Parker, and to stop Middleton. And then they're going to have to come back and be at that top-notch level on offense. That's going to be really, really difficult. So if Giannis can continue to play his sort of outer-worldly um, play that he's been carrying through all season, if Chris Middleton can continue to play as he has at the end of the season, he has been absolutely on fire the last two weeks. Uh, my fantasy team knows that. Shout-out to the Fantasy League. Um, if Jabari Parker can keep playing solid, you know, even I look at it here, if Mil- they probably won't because they have not employed it much, but if Milwaukee you know, committed to a lineup where they were playing Giannis or Jabari as a super small ball five, him, Jabari, Middleton, Bledsoe, I'll throw Della Vadova out there with them. That's just That could be a potentially very hard-to-handle lineup for Boston. Um, Terry Rozier is a key for me for Boston because he's, he really stepped up strong in place of Kyrie uh, when Kyrie went down. But doing that in the playoffs is a completely different animal. It's a completely different beast. And... He's matched up against Eric Bledsoe, who's one of the top not who is a top, you know, top fifteen player at his position in the entire NBA. Easy. So it's gonna be a big test for Rozier. It's gonna be a big test for Jason Tatum, too, being asked to carry the majority of the perimeter scoring burden for this team as a rookie. He has had a fantastic season. He's going to be a stud and a top-notch player for many years to come. But in his first playoffs, he's going to be his team's go-to scoring option on the perimeter with Al Horford down low. It's a lot to ask here. Um, I look at this series, and I'm really torn on who I could see emerging from it because part of me wants to say that with all the injuries that, they have, that they're dealing with and the talent that they're playing against, I don't see Boston being able to beat Milwaukee four times out of seven. But then the other part of me sees Boston, in spite of all these injuries, even though Kyrie was more towards the end of the season, you know, with Gordon Hayward out all year, with Jalen Brown being hurt um, for little periods of time throughout the year, Marcus Smart being hurt for a while. They was, they still won over 50 games. They were still the second best team in the Eastern Conference. So I, it's hard to bet against them in this situation. And 
if I had, you know, you had to make one choice, I probably would go Boston, I think, in seven games. I just, there's just something about Boston. They have this grittiness and this tenacity. And I look at Jason Tatum as someone who, even though it's his first playoffs, even though he's going to be carrying the majority of the perimeter scoring burden, he's going to be facing a lot of pressure. He's someone I look at and I think steps up to the plate and can do so. Al Horford is a very, very, very good player. Someone who does not get enough credit, enough um, credit for how good he is. And you look at Milwaukee at the big, at the center position, you know, I don't trust Thon Maker to be able to guard Al Horford at a high level. John Henson could do a decent job, but then if you have Don Henson out there for the majority of the game, you're going to be taking a lot of offense potentially out from that five spot. So on that, so it's sort of like a counterbalance between, you know, John Henson being able to guard Horford um, and how he can produce at the offensive end. Milwaukee, to me, is a team that should be better than they are, and there's just something off about them. Maybe they need, it's just they don't have the right coach. Obviously, Jason Kidd getting fired midway through the season. They're on an interim coach now. There's something off about them. So I don't want to bet for them and against Boston, especially in the playoffs, even with all the injuries Boston has dealt with. I think Boston takes it in seven. I could see this being a very, very entertaining series. Um, and yeah, I, I think a key for Boston, too, I look at it, you know, stopping Giannis, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, whoever it is, it's going to be an absolute handful to do so. And Milwaukee's going to have to, even though they have Chris Middleton, they have Bledsoe, they have Parker, they have all these guys I mentioned, they have to ride Giannis to potentially winning four out of seven games. This series hinges on Giannis and Ted Acumpo. Even still, I can't trust them to beat the Celtics four out of seven times. I'm taking the Celtics in seven. Um, under the tutelage of a very worthy Coach of the Year candidate in Brad Stevens. All right, going to the next series here in the Eastern Conference, we have the four-seed Cleveland Cavaliers and the uh, five-seed Indiana Pacers. Um, anytime these two teams played during the season, for me, it was a go-to league pass watch. These two teams played exciting, down-to-the-wire, fun, great games. And to further that, what we get in this playoff series is the revival and the return of one of the best player-to-player rivalries in the playoffs in recent memory. LeBron and Lance Stevenson. You know, what's Lance going to do? Is he going to blow in his ear again? How badly will he annoy LeBron? He did so many mul- multiple times throughout the season when the two teams played each other. You know, how will Victor Oladipo handle his first playoff series um, being in the role as the guy, as he is for Indiana. How will guys like Miles Turner, guys like Demonis Sabonis, step up and be able to combat Kevin Love on the de- or on the defensive end, combat Kevin Love offensively? They, the Indiana, this is a cool series in the sense that, you know, obviously getting LeBron and Lance is cool, but these two teams play each other super well. For a lot of Indiana's guys, this is their first big test. You know, for a guy like Miles Turner, for a guy like Sabonis, this is their first real... Well, not for Sabonis because he played last year, but for Miles Turner, his first real playoff test. Victor Oladipo, it's his first test in being the go-to all-around star for his team. You know, he was there with Oklahoma City last year. Russell Westbrook wouldn't even pass him the ball because they didn't have the confidence in him to make a three-point shot on a catch-and-shoot. And now look at him. He's an all-star. So, you, know, you have Darren Collison in a big role in the playoffs. And you have an Indiana team who, despite a lot of people, you know, writing them off or saying, oh, it'll eventually flame out. And them playing a style that really isn't, you know, what a lot of other teams are trying to 
do in the NBA this season, you know, taking a lot of mid-range long twos, you know, playing hard gritty defense as opposed to getting to the rim a lot and shooting a ton of threes, it's going to be really interesting to see how that translates in the playoffs, especially when you have to play LeBron continuously over and over and over. Obviously, they have their LeBron stopper, Lance Stevenson. They have their go-to guy in Victor Oladipo. They have their off-ball shooters in Bogdan Bogdanovich. You have your point guard in Collison. You have your two bigs. But it's LeBron James. And I know that they played him super tough in the regular season. I know they had incredible matches. I know Lance Stevenson has gone under LeBron's skin many times, including in the playoffs. But even though it's been said many times, it rings true. You do not bet against the team that has LeBron James in their lineup. Simple as that. I think Indiana wins. I'll give them two games in this series. I think Indiana can win two games off of them. Uh, probably I would give them, you know, games three and four at, at home. I just cannot see them, though, beating LeBron four times out of seven. Quite frankly, I can't see any team in the East beating LeBron four times out of seven. We'll get into the team who I think has the best shot when I preview the next series. But LeBron has been an absolute monster in the last probably eight weeks of the season, just out of his mind. You know, Cleveland has had multiple feel like I feel like they've had multiple seasons within the season. You know, the first group, the Kevin Love hurt group, the trade group, the Kevin Love back with the trade group, Tyron Lue out, Tyron Lue back. It's been a roller coaster season for them, but the one thing they consistently have is LeBron James. And LeBron James, when the pressure is on, when it is playoff time, he delivers. Yes, he's won. He's lost all these finals, blah, 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 blah. He has carried many, many teams through the finals. He has put a literal team on his back and won a final. When they beat Golden State a few years ago, they won those last three games when the Golden State Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. That was because LeBron put the team literally on his back. The Indiana Pacers are not beating the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs. That is just not happening. Regardless of who they end up playing in the second round, whether it's the Sixers... Whether it's Toronto, I cannot bet against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I'm going Cleveland in six for this first round series. Um, and now let's head to the big time series. Three-seeded Philadelphia 76ers, the fifth best team in the NBA with 52 wins against the six-seeded Miami Heat. So this is kind of like a dream you know, seeing how the Sixers, being a fervent truster of the process since day one when they were winning 10 games, when they had that big losing streak to start the season, when you had guys like Casper Ware and Charles Johnson and Darius Johnson Odom and Jakar Sampson and Adonis Thomas. I go on and on and on. But the point is, it's finally blossomed. In their first year of being competitive, they won 52 games, only lost 30, the fifth best team in the NBA. Absolutely insane. And they did that on the back of an all-NBA first-team quality center in Joel Embiid. Hopefully he doesn't make those so his contract doesn't increase by overall value by $6 million a year and cost them to have to shed more salary to sign LeBron. And by the rookie of the year, not Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons. This team has won 16 games in a row to end the season with six of those games without Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is an elite all-time company with guys like Oscar Robertson as guys who, you know, average 15, 8, and 8 as a rookie or the amount of triple doubles that he's had in his rookie season. The argument that, oh, when it comes playoff time, 
you know, how is Ben Simmons going to adjust? Our teams, since they're going to continuously play him over and over in a playoff series, are going to sag off and do this, this, and that. I've heard this argument all season. You know, how is Ben Simmons going to react when teams hack him? How is he going to react when teams sag off of him? Hasn't affected his play at all. So, Sixers are taking this series. Miami plays them a little tough. They've Miami is not a team to take lightly. They, you know, on paper, you look at the talent on their team. It doesn't jump out at you. But they, they play really, really hard. They're really, really gritty. They are going to play you and wear you down and grind it out. I look at them. Hassan Whiteside cannot handle Joel Embiid, point blank. And they have not been playing well with Hassan Whiteside in the lineup. Dwayne Wade was a big, huge acquisition for them and hit game-winning shots against the Sixers. He's going to be your go-to guy in a playoff series. You know, I look at you know, guys like James Johnson, guys like Justice Winslow. You know, these gritty role-player types are really going to have to play exceptional basketball to have a chance to win four out of seven games. But quite frankly, they just don't have that. As gritty as they are, as hard as they will play you, the Philadelphia 76ers are an extremely talented team. They are the scariest team in the entire playoffs right now outside of Golden State and Houston. No team wants to play the Sixers in the playoffs, and nor should they. We've seen Markel Fultz just come back recently, had a triple-double last night. We saw the Sixers play the seven-seed Milwaukee Bucks last night. They won by 36 points, killed them. Fultz with a triple-double, like I just said. Rashawn Holmes scored 19 points. This team is deep. This team has veteran role players. This team has an MVP caliber superstar. This team has an all-star caliber rookie of the year superstar. This team is winning this first round. I'm going to go six games. I'll give them, yeah, I'll go six games. I say Miami can get two off of them just by playing greedy. I think they get a home game and maybe still one against the Sixers on the road. But they're not winning this series. And then we look forward from that to the second round. Predicting that Boston beats Milwaukee. A second round where Toronto and Cleveland, who every time they play, have a magical, unbelievable basketball game, which will be, that could potentially be the highlight of the entire playoffs. And then you'd have the Sixers against Boston, which to me, I look at Boston's skeleton crew team and I look at the Sixers, there's no chance that the Boston could beat the Sixers. And I don't think Toronto can beat Cleveland four times out of seven. Even with their changed team, I just don't think that with having to have Siakam and Yunobi on LeBron at all times, that's going to take away a little bit from them offensively. We saw that when they played them a couple weeks ago, uh, where Cleveland was at home down big and came back and won. You can't bet against LeBron. So I say the Sixers would beat Boston in the second round, and the Sixers, in their first year of being competitive, making the conference finals. God's dream. Um, taking on Cleveland in the conference finals. Um, I, again, I'm not betting against LeBron. And if you had asked me this a month and a half ago, I would have said Toronto was going to make the conference or was going to make the finals. But with how LeBron's played towards, you know, even up to that point in the end of the season, with how I've seen Toronto play Cleveland, I just don't have the confidence that they can beat Cleveland in a playoff series. So I'm taking Cleveland, making the Eastern Con- or making the finals out of the East. I say if they were to play the Sixers in the conference finals, I'd give it to them probably six games. I think the Sixers can definitely get two off of them. They've shown that they can beat them before. You know, hopefully the NBA lets Joel Embiid keep the dark mask, which, you know, they're not really crazy fans about players having non-clear masks. The dude's the fan of the process out here, and he looks absolutely awesome. So NBA, let him keep the dark mask, and the memes that are going to come from that are going to be absolutely wonderful. So 
That's my predictions for the East. The Sixers are the scariest team. The Cavs beat the Sixers in the conference finals, and they head to the finals to take on the team who emerges from the West, which we'll get into right now. All right. So let's start. First off, last night was an awesome, awesome game. Denver and Minnesota played in the first play-in game, and it had to be probably at least 20 years. In winner-take-all, loser goes to loser goes home, winner goes to the playoffs. Went to overtime, and it was a two-point game with like 25 seconds left in overtime. And Will Barton, you know, he pump-faked from three, and he drove the lane. He had a wide-open sort of like, it's like, it wasn't a floater. It wasn't a teardrop. It was like a half layup, half floater kind of thing. And it was just off, and then Minnesota got the board, made some free throws, whatnot, and won. So after 14 years, Minnesota finally makes the playoffs. Unfortunately, they are running in to the best team in the NBA, the Houston Rockets, a team who, when they have played minutes, this is a staggering stat here, so get ready for this one. Per When Houston has played the Minnesota Timberwolves, they have scored 130 points per 100 possessions. 130 points per 100. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Houston's sweeping them. I'm sorry. I want Houston or Minnesota to do well. You know, I look at Towns and Butler and this team that had been down and out for so long, and they finally have these two superstars and they're getting to the playoffs. But unfortunately, they're stuck with a team like Houston, who Houston's straight up, they're dominant. You know, they're the prototypical modern team, one over 60 games, the only team in the NBA to do that this year. They are. They come at you from all angles. You have the best ISO player ever in James Harden. Chris Paul is playing this most free, you know, all-around basketball we've seen him play in so long. The role players, as we know, P.J. Tucker, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella's having an incredible year. It goes on and on and on. Even though Luke Richard and Bamute's out for the first round, at least with a dislocated shoulder, they'll still be fine. Houston is sweeping them. Houston is legit. They're going to the conference finals. So... I'll get into that in the prediction for who I think would win the series for their inevitable opponent, but spoiler, Houston's making the conference finals. And I don't really think it's even going to be a challenge here. You know, they have someone who can cover, you know, Clint Capella can guard Carl Anthony Towns. Easy. Carl Anthony Towns is not the best defensively. So when the Rockets, who either shoot a ton of threes or crash the rim, go towards the paint, there's not a huge rim protector to enforce that area. Um, they're going to, the Minnesota loves to play Todd Gibson at power forward. You look at Houston, Houston likes to play multi-positional versatile guys like Tucker at the power forward spot. Sometimes they like to, um, put James Harden on the other team's big, who may not necessarily be the greatest scorer to give what they think is a exploitive, exploitable matchup, but then they end up missing mismatches come when the Houston comes down Houston. All right. So they have Harden cover the other team's Sort of the non-best scoring bigs. Like, for example, let's say they're playing Boston. They'd have, they put him on Aaron Baines. Obviously, Boston sees Harden's on Baines. They think it's a mismatch. Throw it to Baines. Baines misses because he's not a good scorer. Houston gets the ball in transition. Mismatches galore because of how jumbled up and mixed that defensive matchup was. And they get an open shot on the other end. Perfect situation here for Harden to be on Todd Gibson and for that to happen. Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a superstar. Andrew Wiggins very disappointing. Look at Houston. They have, they're going to have James Harden and Jimmy. They're going to have James Harden as their shooting guard. You got Jimmy Butler matched up with him. James Harden's better. Chris Paul point guard. Jeff Teague's not stopping him. 
and you're going to have Wiggins at the small forward spot. He's a very inefficient player as is, and you're going to be having a top-notch premier defender in Trevor Ariza on him. Minnesota's going to get absolutely throttled in this series. Sweep for Houston. Houston goes to the conference finals. Hopefully, Minnesota will get it another year, Get that and they get that so longed-for playoff rounds win. I don't see it happening this year. Going to the next series, we got a very fun matchup. You know, the Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs. You know, for the second year in a row, obviously under much different circumstances, without Kawhi Leonard, which is a shame. You know, we'd love. Who would not want to see Kawhi Leonard, a Kawhi Leonard-led Spurs, go up against Golden State? That is an awesome series. But again, you know, Zaza does what Zaza does, and then Kawhi Leonard has is terrified to play to re-aggravate his injury. I don't see him playing in this series, and as a result, I don't see them him playing at all in the playoffs because they are not making it past this series. I love LaMarcus Aldridge. He does not get nearly enough credit for how incredible of a year he had. He literally, he is the reason that they are in the playoffs. Yes, they are only a seven seed, but you took away a top 10 player in the entire NBA away from this team. LaMarcus Aldridge, who a lot of people were just very upset with after his play in the playoffs last year. He stepped up huge and had probably the best year of his career since his Portland, not probably, definitely had the best year of his career. Despite that, they're playing the Golden State Warriors. And yes, they're without Steph Curry. But Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Quinn Cook has stepped up, which is ridiculous. They get these guys like Quinn Cook or Jordan Bell in the second round. They all step up like crazy. Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, you get the point. The Golden State Warriors are absolutely awesome. And yes, the Houston Rockets were the one seed in the West. And yes, the Golden State Warriors were not the best team in the NBA this year. But come on. I would love to see the Spurs maybe get a game off of them. I think it's possible. I just don't see it happening. I can't see the Warriors dropping a playoff game here. We saw it last year. They didn't drop any playoff games until the finals. So, for me, it's a sweep here also. Golden State sweeping San Antonio in the first round. And I'll be interesting to see where San Antonio goes from here. uh, Danny Green's got a player option that he's probably going to decline after this offseason or after the season. Is Kawhi's relationship with them damaged beyond repair? Who knows? It's a shame, too, because Kawhi's a fantastic player and you want to see him playing against Golden State in the playoffs in situations like this. As far as Golden State, obviously, Golden State's making it to the conference finals. We're going to get an epic, epic showdown between the two best teams in the NBA, Houston and Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. I'll get more into that after I get through the rest of the first round matchups, but is there any better modern NBA matchup that could have possibly existed than the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors? The answer is no. Absolutely not. So that'll be the Conference Finals matchup in the West, but let's keep going with my first round predictions. So from there, two really fun series after that. Uh, 3-6, the Blazers-Pelicans. This is a very interesting to predict series because Anthony Davis is a monster straight out of uh, Space Jam. He's an absolute beast and has played himself an MVP caliber. Even Yes, James Harden's the MVP. The, he's played himself into potentially being the second in voting, uh, second in the MVP voting. And... 
You look at the rest of that team, Drew Holiday has had a very good season. Playing as a combo guard, he's really had a good season scoring the ball, playing all around. Best season he's had since his all-star year he had with the Sixers back in 2012. 2000, yeah, 2012. And you look at Portland, Damian Lillard had the best year of his career. Probably should be top five, probably should be fifth or so in the MVP voting. C.J. McCollum is awesome. Nurkic is inconsistent, but as a whole... Portland played great. They are the three seed in the West. A team that was probably thought of coming into the season as like an eight seed fringe team. Three seed in the West behind MVP, top five in MVP voting player in Damian Lillard. So what Portland has is the perimeter onslaught with Damian Lillard and TJ McCollum. What the Pelicans have is the all-around monster big. Not They're the opposites of each other. In terms of how they're going to play each other, how they're going to attack each other, right? This is hard to predict. I think this series goes to seven games. And for New Orleans, it hinges on just how much of a beast, how much of an abnormal, subhuman, absolute destructive force Anthony Davis can be on the court. I see him, I mean, you look at who Portland will match him up with, Yusuf Nurkic. Ed Davis, very solid backup who's a good defensive center. He's not stopping Anthony Davis. But then you look the other way. You're going to have Drew Holiday being the guy covering uh, McCollum or Lillard, but then the other guy gets left with Rajon Rondo or Etuan Moore or Jameer Nelson. I think Portland takes this in seven and this is, for me, harder to predict than any... This is harder to predict than that series I had mentioned with Boston and Milwaukee. This is the hardest series to predict in the entire first round. Because you have two really good teams who have completely different style of play within their superstars who are going to carry them potentially to win that first round. I'm not betting... I, it's hard. I really don't want to bet against Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis is an absolute monster. An MVP caliber player would be MVP if a guy like James Harden didn't have the year that he did. But when it comes to the playoffs and when Damian Lillard is at his best, as we saw when he hit that shot against Houston a few years ago to win the playoff series, Portland is... Oh, whoa, that was loud. Portland, to me, especially with Damian Lillard playing as he has, I can't see New Orleans being able to quell that enough to the point where they are able to win four games out of seven against against them. Because I don't... Because, all right, let's, let, let's say that you put Drew Holiday guarding Damian Lillard. You still have C.J. McCollum, who you're going to be guarding with Rajon Rondo, a Jimmy Nelson, or Etwan Moore. So either way, you're getting a favorable matchup for one of your two top-notch perimeter players. So you're going to score a ton of points from at least one of those guys, for, if not both of them, every single game. For Portland, yes, Anthony Davis is going to dominate, but if there's a potential to double him, I think exists a little bit more than it would ex- than it would exist for Portland because you can't double Lillard or McCollum because you have the other one open, or you could throw it down to Nurkic. Even though he's inconsistent, he's still going to be down there guarded by whoever their center is, Emeka Okafor at this point because they don't like to play Davis at the five, even though they will sometimes. They just rather would not. I, th- I look at Portland as being harder to handle for New Orleans than Davis would be harder to handle for Portland, 
Yeah, let, let, yeah, let me rephrase that better. I see Lillard and McCollum being a more difficult matchup for New Orleans than Davis being one for Portland. I look at Ed Davis. May, you know, I look Davis is going to have monster games regardless. But if you lessen the degree of the monster games he has, whilst scoring monstrous amounts from three with Lillard and McCollum, you're going to win the series. That's what I think is going to happen. I think Portland takes us in seven. And it's going to be really cool for Portland, you know, who have stuck with Lillard and McCollum, these two home-drafted guys. A lot of the guys on their team, you know, Myers Leonard, they, they drafted Zach Collins this past year, who has been playing a lot better than expected. They traded for Nurkic, they signed Ed Davis, they traded for Mo Harkless, and all these guys are still there. And they could potentially get that first playoff series win. I think it's going to happen. Portland takes it in seven. And then moving to another fun series, the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder, the 4-5 matchup in the West. This series is really, really interesting because it could have long-term ramifications, and it's really, again, it's, an, it's a case of opposites, right? Oklahoma City, the team with the superstar trio, or duo and then a former superstar third piece. Russell Westbrook, again, a triple-double per game player. Paul George, an absolute stud who is going to have an incredibly hard decision to make this coming offseason, but again, made... One, almost the most threes in the entire NBA this season. A top-notch two-way player. He's alongside Russell Westbrook. Carmelo is Carmelo. You know, he's not what he once was, but he's still Carmelo. You want the, If he has the ball in his hands in a playoff game, you have no other option. You'd be somewhat okay with it. Steven Adams does not get enough credit for how good of a center he is. He is an incredibly solid piece in the middle. Corey Brewer has, even though he's got a sprained ankle, they say he'll play game one, has really stepped up since they got him in the absence of Andre Roberson. Depth for me is concern for Oklahoma City. You know, you have guys like Alex Abrinas, Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson are your first sort of go-to guys off the bench. That concerns me a little bit. But again, this team is built on the superstar duo, the former star third piece again in Carmelo. But you have Russell Westbrook and Paul George, two all-NBA players. And then you look at Utah. Utah's got Rudy Gobert, who I think should and will be the defensive player of the year. They have Donovan Mitchell, a very, very talented rookie, not as talented as Ben Simmons, but a guy who you can get the ball to, who can play make, who can be incredibly creative, can shoot the lights out, can take 25 shots a game, can score for you in bunches. Joe Ingles, the role player of all role players. Guys like Jay Crowder, guys like Ricky Rubio, you know, not guys who are these super stud players. But these really solid role player guys, a hard playing rookie, and a defensive beast in the middle. I think Oklahoma City takes this series. I say they'll do it in six. And I can't, and the reason being, I just can't take what Utah's got in terms of how they're made up of solid guys with. You know the the top notch Gobert and Mitchell. Rather, I can't. I'm not betting against Russell Westbrook in the playoffs with Paul George alongside of him and with Carmelo to potentially help them out, especially when they're playing Utah. I know when they played um, last year against Houston, they did not win, but that was when they only had Russell Westbrook and they were playing against a top notch guy in James Harden. They're not playing a guy in Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert who they can't handle. Rudy Gobert is a great defensive center. Okay. Oklahoma City's center is not a primary scoring option and is a good, solid defender in his own right who can rebound just as well. So the presence of Rudy Gobert sort of gets, I guess, lessened in severity or impact 
even though it'll still be very impactful, but because you have Steven Adams who can very well hold his own against him. Russell Westbrook and Donovan Mitchell. That's your big-time matchup here. Russell Westbrook's been here before. Russell Westbrook is, in my mind, the fourth-best player in the NBA. That's a huge, 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 huge task for anyone, let alone rookie Donovan Mitchell in his first-ever playoffs. Even though, as I say this, he led them to where they are in the playoffs as the four seed. But, I'm not betting against Russell Westbrook and betting for Donovan Mitchell. You look at Paul George. Who does Utah have to counteract him? Joe Ingles isn't. Jerry J. Crowder's not. Ricky Rubio is going to be playing off the bench as a point guard. They don't have the guy to stop Paul George. And on the perimeter, they really wanted to swallow up Donovan Mitchell or swallow up any perimeter shooting, put elite defensive perimeter set, uh, to perimeter defender Paul George on him. I really like seeing Utah succeeding and overachieving as they have. I like seeing Donovan Mitchell play as well as he has. I love Rudy Gobert, but Russell Westbrook, Paul George, they want to get out of the first round with this team. They want to be able to win a playoff series to entice Paul George to stay in the offseason. I think they take this series. I say they take it in six. And then moving forward after that, you'd have Houston taking on the Thunder, and you would have the Warriors taking on Portland who Portland and the Golden State played last year in the playoffs. Very solid, fun series. Obviously, Golden State would take them in four. And looking at the Rockets and the Thunder, that's an awesome matchup. Chris Paul and James Harden against Russell Westbrook and Paul George. You know, adding Steven Adams and Clint Capella, adding Carmelo thrown in there. That's a fun matchup. And when they've played each other this year, they have been very, very fun matchups. But again, going to what I've said, Houston and Golden State is going to be the conference finals. And for me, I think that goes seven games, and I think Golden State takes it. And I really hope I'm wrong. I would love, love to see Houston, this team who built and constructed the prototype modern team to be able to take it to Golden State when everyone else was kind of, you know, basking or... You know, shying away from even trying to be somewhat competitive because they thought it was a futile effort. Daryl Morey, the mad scientist, the best executive in the entire NBA, he went for it and he created a monster. And as good as that monster is, as many games as they won, they can't beat one of the greatest teams of all time four times out of seven. And Curry will be back by then, and they'll have their full squads against each other, and I just, oh man... We look another thing to to put into consideration there too is we saw James Harden's performance in the playoffs last year when it really mattered and the season was on the line against San Antonio. We've seen other situations at end of games where he's kind of fallen apart. You what you can say that he's an, he's the third best player in the NBA. He's incredibly talented, the best ISO player ever. Incredible combination of handles, driving ability, shooting ability. He's an absolute. He's the MVP. But he'll have Klay Thompson on, one of the best defensive shooting guards in the league. One of the best two-way players in the entire league. Will he get frustrated, you know? Will he be able to keep producing at the MVP level four times out of seven in seven games straight against Golden State? I don't know. Especially with seeing how he's faltered late in games. Like, I can pinpoint a game where they played Boston around December time and Marcus Smart got in his head and he committed two offensive fouls. They blew a huge lead and Boston won. 
You saw how he played against San Antonio last year. So that's something you always have to consider in the back of your mind. Golden State is Golden State. An absolute juggernaut. One of the best teams of all time. Houston is the best chance that anyone has to take them down in quite some time. Yes, Cleveland beat them a few years ago, but this Houston team is better than that Cleveland team. But then again, that Golden State team did not have Kevin Durant. You look at it by matchup by matchup, you know, Curry and Paul, Harden and Thompson. Trevor Reese is going to have to play top-notch defense on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, quietly one of the best versatile defensive players in the league, can move around dependent on who is playing at the three, at the four, and whatnot. So the versatility positionally that Houston employs with guys like Ariza, guys like Bob Mute, guys like Tucker, and especially with Draymond Green being there who can literally play or can play any three positions in the front court and can guard any position, that sort of value in the versatility goes away. At center, they have the advantage Capella is better than Zaza or Jordan Bell or if David West gets thrown out there. But what makes Houston special kind of gets negated a little bit by having Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant there. And to beat Golden State four times out of seven, I just can't see it. I just cannot see it happening for Houston. And I hope I'm wrong. I really want to see someone um, take over um, that Western Conference champion role from Houston. I really want, or from Golden State, excuse me. I really want to see Houston take on Cleveland. I want to see Houston competing for a championship. They are the prototype team and were deservedly the best team in the NBA this year. They can't beat Golden State four times out of seven. And frankly, no one can. So for my ultimate finals prediction, as I said earlier, I think Cleveland beats the Sixers again for many different reasons than I just mentioned for Houston. I really, really, really hope I'm wrong on that one too. Um, Shout out to the process. Shout out Sixers Twitter. Sixers Twitter is the best. Process fans are the best. Shout out. But anyway, Cleveland takes that series over the Sixers. Um, I see. As I said, I say that in six. Golden State, Cleveland, once again, potentially for the last time, depending on what LeBron does this offseason. I think Golden State's taking the championship again. And for some people, they're like, oh, no, it's predictable. Golden State dominates the league, blah, 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 blah. Regardless of the end result of the season, what we saw this year is the, um, the parity of the league or the overall level of competition, it was very high this year. We had... Super tight down to the wire, literally down to the last game playoff race in the West, and a super tight race between teams proceeding in the East. We have an incredible amount of talent. We have more teams who are capable of making it to a conference finals or a finals than we've had in recent years. You know, in recent years before this, you knew it was Golden State and it was Cleveland. Now it's Golden State, Houston, Cleveland, Toronto. If they were healthy, Boston too, as five, and the Sixers. That's six teams. Who could realistically, okay, maybe I'm stretching that a little bit with the Sixers. It's five or six teams who you could realistically see in the finals. We have a higher quality of teams in the Eastern Conference. We have a high quality of teams in the West. They're, you know, the nine-seeded Nuggets and the ten-seeded uh, LA Clippers were playoff caliber teams. It's just a matter of being in a tight race in a very highly talented conference. We have teams like the Lakers who obviously are not there potentially could get there with signing a max agent like Paul George or two, depending on if they get LeBron or will they do the following offseason after that. But with guys like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma, 
they are on the up and up too. We have in the East, the East is very solid. Yes, there's you don't have outside of the top eight, you know, solid teams like you do in the West, but the overall level of competition, the potential for every night for there to be an incredibly great, fun, back and forth, tightly contested game. NBA Twitter, like point blank, NBA Twitter is incredibly entertaining and fun. No other league has that. The pettiness and social media usage and beef and personalities in the NBA and potential for high impact player transactions exists in the NBA like it does in no other league. This season for me, I'm really sad the regular season's over. The playoffs are great, but this was the most fun potentially I've had following a professional sports league ever. Every night, fun game. Sixers, incredibly entertaining, incredibly talented, winning 52 games. Again, everything that went on in NBA Twitter. You know, we had the freaking Houston Rockets after they lost to the Clippers tried to invade the locker room and fight. We had the fiasco the other night with the Tristan Thompson scandal. We had, um, oh my goodness, there has to be more. Those are the two that come to the top of my head. But there's so many great, great nights that we've had in the NBA. So many great back and forth games. So much talent. So much beef. So much tight playoff races. So much incredible just the quality of the league is at an incredibly high level. And to follow it for a whole year with all that I said that comes within the league, what comes with it, it was truly, truly special and fun. Shout out to the NBA for an incredible season. Hopefully the playoffs are just as fun. I say Golden State beats Cleveland in the finals. Gave you all my predictions there. That's a wrap there for the playoffs and the NBA as far as on this show today. Um, touching on other things... Within the sports world, we'll do a quick little shout out here. Uh, the Red Sox and Yankees yesterday, you know, we're getting right into form right away with the Yankees and Red Sox this season. We had a huge brawl after Joe Kelly uh, plunked Tyler Austin, you know, because the Red Sox um, got their panties in a bunch about Tyler Austin potentially having a or potentially making a hard slide where the manager felt compelled to talk crap to the Yankees third base coach and they were all all hell broke loose. Um, I love seeing the Yankees and Red Sox go at it in a heated way like this. Obviously, the Red Sox are the ones who are being a little crybaby-esque as usual, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, and hopefully that continues as they keep playing each other throughout the season. And hopefully the Yankees can sort of stop blowing these leads and playing really shaky as they have of late. You know, they did not start super great. One yesterday... But, you know, they had an 8-1 to lead at one point, and that lead got taken down to 8-6 to before they ultimately, uh, I think they won, they still, uh, let's check what the final score was. I know they scored nine runs after Stanton had an RBI um, late in the game. 10-7, to that's what it was, okay. But again, they got to stop blowing these leads, they really got to pick it up. They also, the fans of their fans have to stop booing Giancarlo Stanton also. You knew what you were getting with him. You knew you were getting dingers and strikeouts. No in between. 50 home runs, maybe 200 strikeouts. Yeah, he's going to have games where he goes 0 for 4 and gets a golden sombrero. Then he's going to have games where he goes 3 for 5 with 2 home runs, a double, and 6 RBIs. And two and a couple of runs scored. You take what you get with him. You take getting this MVP qualiber. Or why do I keep saying it like qualiber? caliber ML MVP caliber 
MVP quality player who hits bombs, destroys baseballs, is an absolutely scary power presence next to another one in Aaron Judge. Yes, he will strike out a lot. Yes, he will have games where he doesn't do much. But when he is on and he has those games where he is destroying the baseball, it's all worth it. He was the MVP last year. He had 59 home runs. If he strikes out four times one game and hits three home runs the next, who cares? You're booing him a couple games into the season because he strikes out when you knew that was coming anyway? Come on, guys. Come on. That's got to end. Speaking of things that need to end, what in the world was that Philadelphia Flyers performance last night, losing 7 to nothing to the Pittsburgh Penguins in their first game of their playoff matchup? I had been talking up the Flyers as potentially having the chance you know, to take it to the going-for-the-three-peat Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I was wrong. They're not going to be competitive whatsoever if any indica- if yesterday was any indication of how they stack up against the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. All right, we've been talking whew, like 53 minutes or so here on After the Final Whistle. I'm Brad Clear here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington, or if you're listening later on, on podcast.com, which if you are, shout out to you, you're great. Um, yeah, that's about it for this week's show. Um, shout out, as I mentioned to everyone before, in on April 26th, the NFL Draft, you know, as usual, broadcast on that Thursday night on the first round on ESPN, NFL Network, whatnot. Uh, organization I'm a part of here at Elon called One on One Sports is doing a live draft show. I'm going to be the lead draft analyst for that show. So it's One on One Sports, the word spelled out one on spelled out one sports. Keep an eye on their social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on that Thursday to get the link, watch our show, because, yeah, the ESPN guys, NFL Network guys are good, but I'm great. You'd rather listen to me. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Keep watching uh, the NHL playoffs as they keep going along, and this Saturday we got the NBA playoffs starting, which sure to be an incredibly fun um, almost two months for the NBA playoffs. So that'll do it for me here on this episode of After the Final Whistle. Uh, I'm Brad Clear, as always. Shout out to you, the listener. Shout out to WSOE at 90.3 FM. Shout out to podcast.com. I'll be back at it next Thursday from 6 to 7, as usual. And as always, goodbye and good night.